Hello, I'm Joseph Lidster, and you're listening to a podcast of spurious morality. And welcome to a podcast of spurious morality. I'm Johnston, and with me I have Connor. Hello. And we are joined by a very, very special guest. We're joined by Joseph Lidster. Hello. Hello. Um, so thank you very, very much for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. Um, we're going to throw uh, some questions at you. Um mm. Nothing too horrible and complicated, don't worry. <laughs> so I guess this week's spoiler warning would be things that Joe has written. Because <laughs> um, that's what we're most likely to be talking about, uh, believe it or not. Um, yeah, so else. <laughs> um, first question, we're going to kind of drag you back uh, a few years. Um because we'd like to know sort of how you very first started working with Big Finish. Um, yeah, so I had done a media degree and I knew I wanted to get into television is was was my dream, I suppose is my dream still, and I'm, I'm working in it. But um, and I kind of pretty certain I wanted to get into writing. I, I really liked acting when I was a kid. Um, and then I really got into writing. And so I kind of knew that's what I wanted to do. And I did this media degree that was very helpful in many ways. It changed me as a person, gave me lots of friends that I'm still friends with, learned a lot of skills, but it didn't really teach me how to get a job. Um, and at the same time, I was a Doctor Who fan and um, like I've been a big fan of the new adventures. Uh, I was, hadn't heard much Big Finish because by then I was sort of, I didn't, I, mean, I didn't know anybody else who was into Doctor Who and I didn't have much money so I wasn't buying Doctor Who stuff I think I bought the magazine still and um but I knew Big Finish existed and I eventually did buy one I bought Winter for the Adept which I really enjoyed and I asked for one for Christmas from my family and I got the Apocalypse Element which I really enjoyed so I knew they existed I knew they were doing stuff um and I thought well why not just send them an idea um, so I had this idea for a, a sixth Doctor and Perry story about them going uh, uh, clubbing because I was that was what I did my life at the time was working and clubbing and um, I just thought it would be a fun Yeti on the Lou and Tooting Beck idea um, and so I sent in the idea and um, not even knowing whether they were taking in ideas or, or what they were doing with the Doctors and Companions I didn't know really what they were doing um, so I kind of winged it and just sent in a full idea. And Gary Russell wrote back to me and uh, really liked it and asked, said, yeah, you know, 
if you're willing to make some changes, then we'll go ahead with it. Um, and obviously I was willing to make changes because I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to be, you know, I could be writing a Doctor Who. Um, and so, yeah, that's really how it started. And uh, obviously one of those changes was to the Doctor because um, I'm assuming it's the Rapture you're talking about. Um, yes. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I, um, I, I think Gary, no, that was in his first letter. I think the first letter, and it was letters. This is, you know, I think email email existed, but we weren't really using it as much. And um, yeah, he wrote to me and said he'd like it to change to the Seventh Doctrine Ace because he felt it had a New Adventures vibe, which wasn't a surprise considering I was a big fan of the New Adventures. And obviously it was about going out clubbing and drugs were in it and everything like that, which was obviously a bit more New Adventures than, say, you know, the John Pertwee years. And so and I was quite happy to do that because the seventh doctrine ace of my companion, uh, doctrine companion. I have a vague memory of um, Child of the Time Lord. So I remember Colin, I do remember Nicola a little bit and Bonnie, but it is absolutely the seventh doctrine ace were my doctrine companion growing up. And um, the only thing I didn't know was what I didn't know if they were doing, uh, if they were uh, contradicting or following on from the new adventures or anything like that. So originally I said, okay, well, I pitched, I then changed the pitch so it'd be set just after, remember, uh, just before Remembrance of the Daleks or just after. And Gary said, no, we're doing an ongoing thing. Yours will be coming out after a story set of cold dits, which will feature this. So that tied into Ace's motivation and stuff. Um, and yeah, it, yeah, so it was really exciting to be writing for the Seventh Doctor and Ace because they were my Doctor and Companion. And it, it was still fairly early. Um for sort of the seventh doctor and ace at big finish so they were kind of they were doing sort of new weird and wonderful stuff with it then so i guess yeah it kind of fit in pretty well with all of that yeah I mean, it felt like i was it felt like there'd been a million releases before me i think because i was new to big finish i didn't know anybody at big finish i did i knew the writers names because i'd read the books that they'd written so i knew gary russell's name because i'd read the books he'd written and everything like that but um i think i mean correct me if i'm wrong but i think everybody else who'd written something up until my story came out well i think didish come out before me i think phil pasco was new as well um i think everybody else knew each other or were from the same world i was an absolute newbie um didn't know any of them um and so it felt like there'd been a million stories before mine, but actually when you think about it, I suspect there was only two or three Sylvester and Sophie stories before mine, wasn't there? So yeah, it probably was quite early on and then it led into the sort of reboot into bringing in the new companion. Um, so you say that you, you pitched that story uh, effectively, obviously there were changes. Um, was it often that way or did they ever sort of have you working to a brief and has that changed as the years have gone on? Oh, after that, it was pretty much brief. Um, uh, there I would be asked. Uh, so Master came about <laughs> because the Rapture didn't go down very well. I was very lucky that they liked me because I went to the recording and stuff and Jason, who directed it, liked me. And and I think they saw in the Rapture that I was coming from a different world. I wasn't coming from, even though I was a Doctor Who fan, I wasn't coming from a Doctor Who fan world. I was coming from a world of... Uh, not more modern. I was. I, I grew up watching This Life and Cracker and things like that, not The Tomorrow People. So I was bringing a different sort of sensibility to it. 
And I think they saw that and so started to use me and other stuff. But also there there was um, the Villains trilogy for the anniversary for 2003. And I think it was Kevin Scott and maybe Mark Wright as well were going to write the one about the master. And then they moved to do Project Lazarus, I think. So they needed somebody to write the master story. And Gary got in touch with me. So it was very much, I was told it had to be the master. I was told it had to be on an alien planet. I think I was given the amnesia storyline. So I was given lots of things there. And then after that, everything was pretty much, I'd be given a, a shopping list, which I love. I love being given a shopping list. I think the hardest thing in the world is to start from scratch um, as a writer. Uh, if you're given just one thing as a shopping list, it helps. And everything I've written ever since has been for existing series. So even if I'm not given an exact shopping list, I'm given the characters. I know what the setup of the show is. So I know what world I'm working in. And so, yeah, no, after after the Rapture, and even on the Rapture, I mean, I was still given the shopping list. I was given, I had to write in Ace's brother. Um, and uh, what I had to follow on from Cold It's and write in Ace's brother. Um, so, yeah, after that, it was shopping lists, which I like. It always surprised me that, I mean, you say the Rapture wasn't that well received. I've always absolutely loved it. But then I first heard it uh, when I was at university and I was 18, 19 years old and I was going out clubbing and yeah. I was just getting into DJing and all that stuff. It yeah. was probably a bit of a perfect storm. I think it was where we, I mean, I think for a start, first time writer will freely hold my hands up and say, you know, it's got a lot of flaws with it. Um, the ending is not very good. Uh, it, you know, the ending is a, is a not as good copy of the end of episode one. I think episodes one and episode two are really, really good, actually. I, I've not heard them in years, but I think episode one is a very good episode one of Doctor Who. And I think episode two is doing something completely out there and different, which Big Finish had never done. For me, I think there are a couple of things. One was people were tired of Ace. People were tired of Ace having angst, which I was slightly confused by because I was a bit like the whole point of my story is her going yes, I've got all this horrible backstory and everything's miserable, but I'm choosing to choose life. You know, it was very train-spotting-y, choose life, having fun, living your life. Um, and, yeah, there were, there was, so there was that. But also, yeah, people, I, I suppose I assumed big Finnish fans would be New Adventures fans, and I don't think there's anything in the Rapture that even remotely compares to um, the sort of excesses of, say, transit or something like that. It's it's not even in the same ballpark. Um, it's a quite traditional Doctor Who story. It's just set in a world of trance music and drugs and drinking um, and younger characters rather than older characters. And I think at the time, bearing in mind this is before the, re, you know, the relaunch of the TV series, it just wasn't what big Finnish fans were necessarily used to. Um, they were a, a sort of, there was always that thing back in, is it the 90s, when they used to talk about trad versus rad, the Doctor Who stuff, like New Adventures were rad, BBC books were trad, and I, don't, I never think it's any anywhere as clear-cut as all that. And I certainly don't think the Rapture is that rad. I, maybe episode two. I think episode two does use the audio medium in a way that Big Finish, up until that point in their Doctor Who range, hadn't necessarily done, in that it wasn't... I'm so used to technical terms, but it wasn't 
um, as as love. It wasn't as real. It wasn't as how a Doctor Who episode had been shown on the TV. Here's scene one. Cut to scene two. Cut back to scene what? Uh, cut back to the character scene one. Now move to scene. It was mixed and mashed, and people talked over each other, and the dream sequences that aren't explained, and everything like that. Um, so I think episode two was quite different, but I think the rest of it was just the setting um, and uh, what you know, the fact that there was more ace angst in the form of being given a brother, which is a sort of storyline that they never, well, they never continued with its name. They never really continued with. They never continued with it, did they? Uh, Ace's brother never returned. No, I think he was. <laughs> I think he was mentioned in one story. So yeah, the rapture ended. They're <laughs> going. I'll come back. You've given me something to go home for, and she's never gone back. So, um, but you know, there's many, many, many. It's still upcoming. It still might happen one day. I'm holding yeah. on for that Ace's <laughs> reunion with her brother. Twenty I do years think it later. Was. I mean, I tried to use it. Basically, what it was was Gary wanted the character of the brother because of the actor. I think so. David John, um, who was in Survival, Sophie had said we get. I think Sophie said they get mistaken for brother and sister or something at times, and wow. um, so she suggested. I think it come from her. It was twenty years ago. Um, and my issue was, regardless of whether Big Finish were following the New Adventures continuity or anything like that, Ace had never mentioned having a brother, and Ace is very defined by her family background. So we know her dad left or died, and we know she has this relationship with her mother that is not always good or healthy. Even if you ignore the new adventures, we know all that. She at no point in Curse of Fenric says, I have a brother or anything like that. So for me, he had to be someone she didn't know existed, which then also gives you drama as well. And I felt that that drama worked, and I felt what that did was it made Ace have a tie on Earth that was her own choosing. She could go back to, um, but instead she's got to Gallifrey and then back to Earth and set charities and that. But, you know, I'm sure Liam's helping out the charity. Oh, uh, that's that's official canon now. That's, yeah. He's helping out with the charity. <laughs> there, right we <laughs> there we go. There we go. This podcast is the sequel that I've been waiting for. That's yeah. that question answered. <laughs> um, Connor, you go ahead and ask one. Yep. You so you had mentioned briefly or, or touched very briefly there on on what had sort of influenced you as a writer. Are there are there any particular influence that you're aware of or anything that has inspired you in your writing? Yeah, um I'm uh I saw Twin Peaks at university. Um a friend showed me. I think we watched it in black and white because we only had black and white TVs. It was so long ago. Um and Twin Peaks is a huge influence on me as a writer. It was um I just think it's an astonishing uh, piece of work. Um, but I, and yes, Cracker was a big influence on me um, because it was drama and really quite heavy drama, but it never felt bleak. It was dramatic and funny and horrible and dark, but it wasn't boring. It wasn't too, if it was two people sitting in a room talking, they were two of the greatest actors you've seen on television and they were reading some, they were performing some of the greatest dialogue. Um, it was never miserable. Um, and so I think stuff like that, I, I'm very, I love characters and I love um, exploring characters. So I think I come from very much that kind of background as opposed to a particular science fiction background. I I, I liked Star Trek The Next Generation a lot. So got, yeah, so I, like, I, I do like Star Trek um, a lot, actually. And I love all the new Star Treks. 
Um, and but yeah, Doctor Who for me wasn't about the science fiction; it was about adventure and escapism and that kind of thing. Um, but what I find is, as uh, I, I think it's very important as a writer to to um, experience what's being made now. So I watch a lot of new stuff, new Netflix stuff, and that's a big influence on me. Um, a big influence on me at the moment is uh, Mike Flanagan, who did The Haunting of Hill House, The Haunting of Blind Manor, uh, Midnight Mass, which is terrifying, and then has just done The Midnight Club. And a bit like Twin Peaks The Return, he's slightly going, if I want a scene here that is a, mono, uh, a monologue, if I want a 10-minute monologue, I'm having a 10-minute monologue. If I want to tell a scene, if I, if all of this, if this entire series is set in 21st century London, but I want one scene set in 16th century France, I will have that scene set in 16th century France. And I think they've both very much encouraged me. I'm much more, it's not even about experimental, it's about the way stories are told. And I'm much more um, interested in looking at how I tell the stories I write. There's a kid's TV show I'm writing at the moment where I suddenly went, I was really struggling with the character's motivation because it's a sit the serial elements and all this lot. And it's like, well, how do I get to motivate her to do what she needs to do in this episode without her going, well, in episode eight, blah, blah, blah. And, blah, blah, blah. and I suddenly went, have a flashback to a previous uh, unseen adventure. And, it, and But don't do it as a flashback. Do that as the opening of the episode. So the opening episode is a scene you have no idea how it's connected and then you find out. And I think... I'm constantly, as a writer, learning from other writers and directors. Um, so, yeah, lots of influences. And at the moment, the big one is Mike Flanagan, who I think is um, Russell T. Davis' level of genius of um, you know, for television. So now you've mentioned Twin Peaks, I like to think that the uh, the upcoming Rani set's going to, at some point, have a scene that's just somebody sweeping the floor for four minutes. No, <laughs> no but it does Which would have... be even better on audio. One thing I loved in Twin Peaks The Return, and I love um, the TV series Russian Doll as well, which does it. I love shows that, and I've actually always slightly done this. I've never had minor characters. I don't have guards who have two or three lines or anything like that. I try and, where possible, every character has a bit of a storyline. But I really pushed that. I fell in love with Twin Peaks The Return of the scenes at the end of the episodes when it was people we didn't know talking about other storylines that were happening in Twin Peaks. I became actually obsessed with those because I was like, these are brilliant actors and these stories are so interesting and it's just this reminder. And that has impacted on my Rani story. My Rani story, no spoilers, but my Rani story is very much about that one per Everybody has a story. Everybody's important. Every life is important. And... Um, there are ways to explore that in drama and um, hopefully that's what I've tried to do a bit in, in this. I'm looking forward very much to listening to that. Um, you've kind of answered my next question already. It was going to be, you started off by I'm writing. Pro, I'm pro. I've done this I before. On fire. <laughs> um, you yeah. started off by writing two McCoy stories at Big Finish. Um, like, was mm-hmm. it choice or was it the way that happened? But, like yeah, you've kind yeah, of said that's the way it happened. Yeah, yeah. You just ended up that way. Um, so that was a nice, quick question. But there was nice because I got to do two different versions of Sylvester. I got to do the, the sort of more adventurous, having an adventure in Ibiza, meeting an old friend. He's a bit more, you know, he has a bit of a couple of moody moments, but it's very much him as 
I'm Doctor Who and I'm having an adventure. And then I got to do Master, which was very much Sylvester as dark and brooding and, you know, internal and everything like that. So, you know, I got to write two Sylvester McCoys, which is funny. And I re-listened to them both sort of in the lead up to this and it struck me just how very, very different they are as stories, actually. Hugely different. And you're right, it is two different sort of iterations of The Seventh Doctor. Mm. Um, But yeah, it's absolutely brilliant stuff. Um, Who's been your favourite Doctor to write for? I'm just going to say a name. (laughs) (laughs) Sweet, Nobody so ever it. does. Um, <laughs> it's the most dangerous I mean, question what, you can ask. It's a dangerous question. Do you know, I will. I can give an answer, and that's Paul McGann, just because it was writing a very different character. Paul McGann's doctor, certainly at the time I wrote for him, used more colloquialisms. Colloquialisms um, used would use modern references. He'd quote Little Britain. He'd do things like that. The Eighth Doctor at that point was a younger, um, modern Doctor Who. So that was actually really good fun to do that, to write for him and Charlie and Kerry's. But I loved writing for all of them. And, I mean, you don't... I'm a bit of the Terence Dix thing. They're, they're all the same character. It's just my own thing. So Colin, I would write as a bit more verbose. You know, Colin does... The Sixth Doctor is like that. Um, Sylvester McCoy, you could write as... I could do the fun, moody stuff and the fun adventure stuff. Or the silly playing the spoons. I even joke about that in Master. You know, one minute he's fun playing the spoons, next minute he's dark and brooding. Um, Colin, yeah, I mean, Colin, I mean, I love Colin in real life. Colin is uh, such a good actor. Um, And actually writing for him is really good fun because I get to write a character who probably is the least, is the most removed from me because I'm not very, I don't use long words. I don't do quotes and things like that, because I'm not very bright when it comes to that stuff. So Colin's a fun challenge to write for, because you go, because also you know Colin Baker himself is an absolute intellectual up there. He knows everything, so you know you can't get it wrong. Um, Peter was fun to write for, um, partly because I was writing for him and Janet, but also it's great to write for a Doctor Who nobody takes that seriously because he looks young, and so he's quite exasperated. So that was quite fun. But yeah, Paul was great fun to write for just because I felt safe writing him, quoting TV I was watching at the time because he was that kind of doctor um, before he went all time wars and God knows what else he's gone through. <laughs> quite a bit. Is that a life? Um, you mentioned writing for um, uh, Peter Davison, Janet Fielding. Connor's got a question about that, so I'm going to throw mm. that in here. Yep. Um, so back at the time, that was it. Was um, I wasn't aware of Big Finish at that stage. It wasn't something I, I, I possibly wasn't even aware of Doctor Who at that stage. But um, it, it was at the time. It was the one and only Tegan story. Um, mm-hmm. What's it like to be told that you've got Tegan? It's the one and only time that Janet Feeling is going to do one of these. Um, does that add some sort of pressure, or or do, do you think you took it in your stride? I think I took it in my stride. Honestly, in all honesty, as a writer, even now, I mean, 20 years since I've done my first big finish, I'm still utterly thrilled if anybody even wants me to write for them. To me, that's still, for, uh, I was going to say a boy, a man from my background, from the town I grew up in, to be even remotely involved in the world of writing audio drama or television or theatre or whatever is just crazy. So 
for me, it was more that. Actually, the big thing with the Janet one was, because Tegan's actually before my time as well. So much as I love the character, I don't have that childhood um, linked to her. Um, the big thing for me was I'd been asked to write a Colin Baker Cyberman story, which was the reaping. And I'd said, can I write for Perry? I really want to write for Colin and Nicola because they're the first ones I really remember. I think at that point I've met Nicola a couple of times. Uh, we were pally, so I really wanted to write for her. Um, but also I had this idea in my head that I really wanted to do about um, Perry's mother and exploring her family because she's a companion we know has a family that she doesn't go back to. So why is that? Um, and so when Gary messaged or I think we were in the pub and he said, um, Janet's agreed to do one and I want you to write it because I want it because I, you know, I'm a bit of a, so I'm a go-to if you want a bit of character stuff. Um, and we, we'd like you to write it. And I said, but I really don't want to give up the Colin, Nicola and Cybermen story. That's, there was heart, you know, heart in that, you know, I was really passionate about that one. Um, but then we had the odd thing where, and this is the, <laughs> this shows how big finishes changed because now it brings out that they bring out so much stuff. Some things were written years before, you know, you, you know, they're so far in advance with some stuff, less far with other stuff. Um, so that's how it works. Whereas in those days, it was very much, uh, much more of a, I don't know, six months before we're making the story that comes out in six months time and that writer's writing for it. And then that writer can come back next year because they did the 12 stories a year. Um, but with Janet, they wanted the gather, obviously, because she'd be a draw. They wanted it to come out as soon as it was done, which meant there was a slightly weird thing of, I'd be bringing out a story. I'd be writing a story in, September and then one in October, which at that point was just totally not a regular thing at Big Finish. So that's why we decided to connect them and, and I decided to turn them into the harvest. So there'd be a point for why these two stories were coming out um, in consecutive months. So it was fun to write for Tegan because she's just a brilliant character and Janet is so much fun. So it was fun to do that. But I don't think I necessarily felt a big pressure. The The, the pressure was in the ending because either Janet or Gary wanted Tegan to die. And it was one of the few times, because I'm not very, not very good at doing that, it was one of the few times I pushed back and said, I don't think it's right to kill her off. Um, and I was told, well, she couldn't have her brain tumour cured. Um, she, she could just live, be, end up with a world. Of, so as far as I'm concerned, seconds after the gathering finishes, Tegan gets a brain tumour cured. You know, I've never, ever felt that it was her death. If you're going to do a death, you'd have her die. You don't, you know, if she's going to do one story, she's going to die. You kill her off. Um, uh, but I, I sort of did slightly go, I don't want to do that. I don't think it's a nice thing to do to the character or to any character. Um, I think you have to, Doctor Who has to stay a hopeful show, you know, and the idea of that happening. And also, I knew there'd be no repercussions from it just because of the way Big Finish, certainly at that time again, now where they bring out mini seasons and stuff like that, there'd be repercussions. You know, if you killed Tegan off in one, there'd be a story then of Doctor Who trying to change the past. Then you'd have a story of coping with grief and so that. I knew that actually because at that point, I think he was meant to be travelling with Perry and RMM. 
um, at that point, it would cut to Perry and Aaron. You know, the next story coming out in six months' time would be the fifth Doctor Perry and Aaron Merman would never mention Tegan, um, just because that's the way it worked. You couldn't bring out a story in six months' time that then opened with the Doctor grieving. You know, and so I didn't want to sort of have a time flight situation um, where you know somebody would go, "Oh, how was your mate? Oh, she died of brain tumor. Oh, well, on we go." You know, um, so I kind of really fought against that and, and got my way. Um, so she got to live to fight another day. And obviously now, quite a few years later, we've seen that she didn't. No, yeah, she, she lived. It, it took a while to resolve that cliffhanger, but it's it's yeah, now it, done. It's funny, I never thought of it as a cliffhanger. I thought of it as uh, people are ill. People, you know, people live with illness. People live with um, mental illness and physical illness uh, and so on. And there aren't easy cures to everything. But she was in a happy place. And, and I thought, you know, she'd resolved any issues she had with the doctor and with her mum and with anybody else and she was just living a life i think the next question's yours as well connor yeah um so it, it's it's a little bit of a two-pronged one um but it it's it, it starts with um at, at some point then you made the jump from the doctor who universe on 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 page and on audio into into the doctor who universe on tv and you you ended up writing some Torchwood and some Sarah Jane adventures. How did that come about, and how different an experience is it to writing for you know a short story or an audio? Um, so it came about in slightly two pronged question. It came about in a slightly two pronged way. Um, I met James Goss in the pub, and he came over to tell me that he'd really enjoyed the story I'd written for the unit series, the miniseries, I'd written a story called The Longest Night. He said he'd really enjoyed it. And I was a bit tipsy. And at that point, James was, this was, oh, I'm so bad on years. So it would be 2005. Because yes, Doctor Who had been on and there'd been the tie-in websites. And so I slightly drunkenly said to James, oh, give me a job on your websites if you like my writing. And he went, that's why I've come to talk to you. And I went, ah, let me sober up. <laughs> um, I, oh, crikey, what? Um, and so that was when I left the, I was working in housing at the time. And that's when I left that job and became a full-time writer because James employed me on writing the websites from the Christmas invasion onwards. So I wrote Martha's MySpace blog. That'll be the year later, wouldn't it? So I wrote, um, from the Christmas invasion onwards, you went to who is Dr. Who and Mickey Smith did little videos and he would send you to death reveal school website where there's a little game to play and it was me working with a computer games company and they'd tell me what they could do and james would have an idea we'd look at the scripts and i would say well blah 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 this is what i could do and i'd write these fictional websites that meant my work was being seen by russell because russell was on top of everything so he signed off everything especially um video footage of mickey smith you know i mean that was again you know this is 20 years ago no 20 years ago whenever it is 15 years ago um it's a slightly different world now but at that point video footage of a character from the tv show was like writing for the tv show those scripts were vetted and edited and and everything like that uh whereas i think now you're more used to his instagram footage of the actor saying stuff um and at the same time around that time gary russell left big finish and went to work for uh, bbc wales 
and was in charge of at first i think merchandising or basically was like the script editor of merchandise of tie-in books tie-in audios and things like that he got me the job of abridging the first three torchwood novels for audio i think they had to lose two-thirds of each book so that was a, a fun challenge and um that meant I got to go to the Torchwood set because Gary was very good. He, Gary was very keen that the writers and me as the abridging person, abridger, um, we would see the sets because the show obviously hadn't gone out at that point. Um, so that was very exciting. So it meant I was just getting a little bit known in Cardiff. And then when Torchwood Series 2 came about, by that point I'd done like Martha's MySpace blog, I'd done Torchwood's websites, I'd done all this stuff for Beauty Wells. And there was quite a young crowd there, so we we hung out a lot. Uh, you know, I was very pally with like the Doctor Who Confidential crew. We'd hang out a lot. Um, and Russell said to Gary, uh, yeah, so Russell T. Davis said to Gary Russell, um, would if you could bring a writer from Big Finish, do you give them a tryout on Torchwood? Um, who would you suggest? And Gary very nicely suggested me. So I had a meeting with Russell and Julie, which was terrifying um they wanted to know my thoughts on tortured series one luckily i'd adored tortured series one but also luckily i hadn't liked one particular episode so i was able to talk about why i didn't think that episode worked um because i thought well i've just got to go with it and be honest and that yeah i um got commissioned got commissioned to write and it was uh just utterly bizarre you know i was writing television um and so yeah, it was originally an over-commission, so they'd commission 15 scripts for the 13-episode series, and eventually it became one of the episodes, and it went through lots of changes. It was about Owen, it was about death cults, it was about near-life experiences, it was all sorts of things, and yeah, got that job. Russell clearly felt I did a you know a good enough job, so employed me on the Sarah Jane Adventures, which through him then, I then got an agent, and so then it was really very much my, that's, you know, this is my job now. What a brilliant way in. That's so, it's so fantastic. Exciting. <laughs> so exciting. And um, just, that was such a good time. I mean, I love my, you know, job, but actually doing those websites, that was the best time because we did, there used to be so many parties in Cardiff. <laughs> so we got clubbing and everything like that. I don't do that anymore. Um, but yeah, you know, we used to go out all the time. It was, so, it was such a good crowd of, um, sort of the junior crew on Doctor Who and Tortured and then the crew of Doctor Who Confidential, the people who did the websites and people like that. It was all this sort of, people say it, but it was this family atmosphere. You know, people would welcome me back to Cardiff and then we'd go out and stuff like that. And so it was really nice. And then obviously that did become, yeah, my, you know, for the next few years, my TV home as well. Um, and the episodes that you 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 wrote for Torchwood and for Sarah Jane, um, and even even um, Master for Big Finish as well, they all or maybe share certain elements where you sort of you seem to home in on on one character in particular and almost put them under a spotlight and 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 put them through you, you put them through the ringer and sort of show them their worst fears and and um, and their worries and are, are sort of are, are all brought up and examined. Do you think that's maybe your? You, you, would you describe that as your signature style, almost? Yeah, very much so. Um, it's what I love doing. Um, I've written quite a bit of kids TV the last few years, and where I've struggled is when I don't get a chance to do that. Where I, you know, I've got forty-eight different storylines, and they're all a bit 
light and you know there's no heart to it that's where i struggle um but there is also the thing of you get asked to do that so you get asked to do i mean so obviously on sarah jane it was quite blatant i got asked to do the clyde storyline the next year it was can you do a rani version of your clyde story and the following year it was can you write luke out and do a story all about luke so it was quite you know straightforward and then we all moved on to wizards versus aliens and i was given the can you make the do the story where the wizard actually isn't mr perfect and is tempted by the dark side um and then i did a second wizards versus aliens that i can't remember much about but i think it dealt well i think it focused on one of the aliens who's now a really famous actress um uh and i can't remember her name she's in game of thrones very tall and she's in lots of stuff now gwendolyn christie um it was all about her uh, I think I wrote a lot about her. And then actually there was the fun thing where on Wizards versus Aliens, I then pitched to do, I worked out an idea because the aliens could only kidnap the wizards at night. And so I worked out, well, this week, what if the aliens cause a permanent eclipse? And I just beaming down and it'd be a big worldwide invasion story. I went newsreads and everything like that. And everybody went, oh, that's not a Joseph Lidster story. And then they went, oh, you can have a chance. No, go on, go for it. And then they took it off me and went, uh, actually, no, we want to give that to another writer. We want you to do a uh, focus story. I had to do a story about the Hobgoblin. Dan Starkey was. It was um, Hob. <laughs> he was called Hobgoblin. I can't remember what he's called. Awful. And yeah, I did get to write a scene of him, a Hobgoblin on a bus. So that was fun. Um, but it was very much, uh, oh, no, actually, Joe, you do a, this character story that we want. So, you know, I... Yeah, it's it's what I do enjoy doing. I love uh, taking an existing character and exploring them. Um, but I think the thing that's forced me to do is add a lot more humour to my stories um, because they could be really miserable. Because <laughs> like you say, I put people through the ringer and it could just be really bleak and depressing. And it's like, so I put a lot of humour in it because also I've written quite a few short plays and they tend to put a character through the ringer. No one cares. Because everybody's, you know, if you're at a short play night, you see 10 short plays. It's it's the eighth short play where someone goes through the ringer. Um, you're only going to care about that character if you like their company. And so that's why I do tend to put a lot of humour in my work to try and make you care about the person so that when they go down, you're like, oh, no, I really actually want you to to do well. And it's always fun writing for characters when you're given a character like Owen um, or Clyde, when you're given someone who isn't very emotional and isn't very... Um, expressive with their feelings when you're given a character like that and you put them through the ringer that's always a uh, that's the the bit i enjoy the most what would you say is the most un you story that you've done then there are stories that i've made more me terra firma wasn't very me at all terra firma was the eighth doctor charlie and Kerry's land on earth and this and i remember being told there are rebels and i was like that's just old men beating up rocks that's all rebels are in Doctor Who. And so I ended up making them party guests. Um, and I ended up making it a very Davrossy story, exploring Davros as a character and how he feels. Um, I would say possibly I did a Colin story called 100. And that's not really me. Uh, well, it is me, um, you know, and I very much enjoyed writing it. Um, but it's not really exploring a character. It was, I basically went, I've got 25 minutes, I'm going to do a ghost story. You know, I'm going to do a Tales of the Unexpected. I'm going to do a something like that. There wasn't really the room to explore much of the character. Um, and, the, you know, for, I didn't really explore the companion because it was Evelyn and I had her possessed for most of it. So, um, 
Yeah, I would say maybe that 100 storyline was very much. There's a Sapphire and Steel I did that's very like that as well. I did two Sapphire and Steel uh, things for Big Finish. One was exploring a family, family relationships, putting them through the ring. And the other one was an Agatha Christie spoof. And a bit like the 100, the Agatha Christie spoof, there's no depth of character to it. That's literally the point of the, the story in that case. So there's those two things I've done, which I think are a bit more. I've sat down, what's the plot here? Rather than how do I explore this character? Um, so you've written a new story then with uh, Rani and Clyde um, for the new Rani series. Um, how does it feel to return to those characters after so long? Um, and do you think you approach that script any differently from usual, considering you worked on the original Sarah Jane Adventures? I think for me it was... The Sarah Jane Adventures was such a glorious time of my life. Um it really was the best time. We were we were like a family. Um, but also I very, very, I, possibly because I suppose even in a small way, I was involved in moulding them. I, I created Clyde's mum. I was given, I was told I had to have Clyde's dad in it. And I was like, well, okay, what about Clyde's mum? And I created the character of Carla, um, which is not the most brilliant, fascinating character, but I created a regular character's mother, which to me was so exciting at the time to be able to have that responsibility. Um, and I really, really believed in Clyde, Ronnie and Luke, especially as as people, as characters. And so when Big Finish got in touch to say they were going to do the Ronnie story, I think it was, I think I've made it clear to Matt Fitton in the past that if you ever did anything with Sarah Jane, please come to me. I'd love to do something involving those characters continuing. Um, the big thing for me, and I think it's the thing that will differentiate it from a lot of big finish, is it's very, very explicitly 15 years later. Um, these characters are adults now. Um, you know, they're not... They're not all grown up and mature because nobody is. Um, but it's very much, they're now the age I was when I was writing the Sarah Jane adventures because I'm 15 years older than that. Um, so it it was not an overused, an honour or a privilege, but it was an honour. To me, it was so important that these stories were the character voices and the, the story in mind felt true to the Sarah Jane adventures. This isn't, you know, just something this is actually quite personal to me so i was very very keen to get it right um to really think about where those characters would be 15 years after the show um to deal with the grief of losing sarah jane because it follows on from russell's um twitter video thing um it follows on from that um and so it's about it's quite again a bit of a shopping list, but it's quite if you break it down, you know, if you don't think about it emotionally, it's quite a shopping list because it's they're 15 years older, but you want the stories to be a bit Sarah Jane adventures, so they should be life on earth, should be an adventure too. Um, you want it to be here's a brand new series, here's the exciting adventures of Rani and occasionally Clyde, but at the same time, acknowledge the loss of Sarah Jane Smith. Um, you can't dwell on that because you don't want it to open with people grieving. Again, a bit like what I said about the Tegan thing. You, you don't want to open a series necessarily with people grieving because obviously 
it's still such a tragedy about Liz dying, but this is a piece of drama that's not in the real world where, I don't know, I wasn't at the studio, but I imagine when Angie and Danny met up, there was an element of, oh, you know, good times it is. You know, certainly when I was writing it, you think about that, but you don't want the drama to dwell on that. So it's trying to do all these different things. Um, I'm hoping it's just really fun. I'm hoping it's like, I think Clyde and Rani are so much fun. And I'm hoping the story is and that people will just be like, Here's, here they are, it's back. Um, and I've, I've read a scene of the story that comes after mine that's by James Goss and it's stunning. It's one of the most beautiful things I've ever read. It's so brilliant, so in character. Those characters are so defined and it's one of those things where you're writing it and you absolutely know that they would say, that's how they say the line. That's, you know, and you sit there going, what's wrong with the scene? And then you'd realize it's Clyde doesn't talk like that. I've written Clyde's line wrong. That's what's wrong with the scene, not the plot or anything else. It's that one line I've written incorrectly and you tweak it because you know how Danny will, you know, you know, Danny's voice because they were such strongly defined characters, you know, 15 years ago. I certainly remember sort of watching uh, Sarah Jane Adventures and it, Sarah Jane Adventures was on sort of around the time where I was uh, latter high school A levels early uni mm. um, so I was sort of you know went on to do a script writing course I, I was very aware of kind of what was going on and I was absolutely amazed that having grown up watching so much on CBBC just how well defined these characters were and you know the character development that there was in these episodes it was unlike absolutely anything else I'd watched on CBBC, and I was proper CBBC loyalist. I, you know, CITV yeah. could get in the pin kind of thing. <laughs> um, yeah, I would. It, it really, really stood out. It just wow, this is totally different to you know. I mean, there were series like I'm probably going to list a load of things that neither of you've never heard of here, but there were series like uh, Jeopardy um, or. Uh, Oh, what was the other one? Kaching, that kind of thing. And oh, it, yeah. It had some character-based stuff, but absolutely nothing in the way. Jeopardy, Jeopardy yeah. is due a big rediscovery, by the way. It was a well, load of kids. Uh, I know there's an American quiz show called it, but I don't know. No, it was a load of students in the Australian outback that were getting abducted by aliens. Uh, it right, was yeah. it was really weird. Oh, well, um, get on to big finish. They can bring it back. Excellent idea. <laughs> I think sure. with Sarah Jane Adventures, there was a couple of things. One was because Liz was playing Sarah Jane, who she played 30, 40 years before. So she was a character who herself had matured and changed. So it would feel odd if bunged a bunch of kids around her who didn't. Luke obviously was becoming more human with each year. Um, and even just the physical logistics of both Danny and Angeli are older than the characters they play. So I think they were late teens when they were playing Clyde and Rani, I think. So they started to look older. So you couldn't just have them doing that. But also I'm very much a big believer in that. I'm a big, I think kids grow up and want the characters to grow up with them. For me, that was very important that those characters would grow up and, and do that. But also it's very important for me that characters aren't stupid. And I think that came with the aging thing. So I remember, for example, having to, uh, disagreement with somebody on about the Nightmare Man, where they wanted Cl uh, Luke. Why isn't Luke? Because the Nightmare Man went through a whole process, so the Nightmare Man was really written very quickly because it was 
a completely different story to what had been planned for months. And there was the, the, the big flaw and the big thing you always hear often with things like that is why doesn't Luke tell the others about the Nightmare Man? Why doesn't Luke tell others that there's aliens talking to him in his sleep? Um, and so I said, well, the Nightmare Man stops him. The Nightmare Man physically stops you being able to talk about his existence. Oh, how can he do that? I went, well, because he can. Well, wouldn't it be better if Luke just was too ashamed of having nightmares? And so did. And I went, we've seen Luke grow and mature as a person. Luke is now 16, 17, going off to university. He's not ashamed of having nightmares. That to me is important to the character that he is mature enough now to not be ashamed to tell people how he feels and to tell people if he's experiencing something. And certainly if it's something alien, he's not going to keep it secret in a way that Luke two, three years beforehand might have done because he might not have understood it. And for me, that was a very important part of the growing up thing was that they were, you know, as you get older, you become more self-aware. You do, you know, you, you develop and change as a person. To me, that's much more interesting for a character than than keeping them pretending that, they're, you know, they're the, they're the young kids. Uh, are there any... Um... Doctors or big finish ranges that you haven't written for that you would like to? Um, I love the Bambera stuff. The Bambera stuff's great fun. I love her. And I think, is that Alfie Shaw and Emma? Not Emma. Is that Alfie Shaw and Emily? Um, I think they've done a great job with that. I think the, the Bambera stuff, the two new characters are really good fun. Um, so maybe something in that, um, or um, I like the Survivors range. Um, actually, I really liked Time Slip. Time Slip was great fun. I'd never heard of it. Well, I think I'd heard of it, and we went out and got the DVD. Me and my partner because we thought, oh, we'll have a list, you know, we'll have a watch. Fell in love with it. Time Slip's amazing. Um, really, really good TV show. Um, but I think. For me, I, I suppose, I, I'm, I'm, it's, I'm, for me, it's the challenge. It would be if somebody came to me and said, would you write a story for this character? Um, I'd always do something for Tortured because Tortured's in my blood. Um, but yeah, so I think for me, it's not so much a specific range as in if somebody came and said to us, we said to me, we want you to write Survivors, the comedy or Survivors the Musical, something that was a challenge, something that was different, or we want you to take this really bland character from this TV series and do an analysis of why they tick. It's like I've got no interest in Blake 7, but if someone came to me and said, right, there's this character from Blake 7 we really want you to write about, and it's a proper character study and everything like that, I'd be like, yeah, go for it. So, yeah, um, at the moment, I'm just thinking the Bambera range, just because I love Bambera. And hopefully there'll be a lot more Bambera coming. I hope so. not announced anything no. yet, but and it leads in. It should lead into the Emily Chaudry series that we did in the early two thousands. Yes, that's what I want. I want all the series is to lead and crossovers of torture. I love all that stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd just like a second early two thousands unit series. That was oh, absolutely do that brilliant. Like, do that like a shot. With that was a really. Um, I'm very good friends with Ian Farrington, who produced that, and Simon Guerrier. Um, and that was a very personal thing for us. We, we we knew what we wanted to do, and we knew what we didn't want to do. We knew we wanted to do something, because Ian, a bit like me, was is slightly younger than a lot of the other people at Big Finish were at the time. Um, so we knew we wanted to do spooks, not 70s unit. 
Um, now, obviously, Spooks is a hideously dated thing, but at the time it wasn't. You know, at the time that's you know we knew what to do. Twenty four stroke Spooks with a new unit team, and I think it was a bit of a first. Uh, no, Dalek Empire was existing by then, wasn't it? I think Dalek Empire and Unit were both a bit of a first for the for big finishing. That they were very much in the world of Doctor Who, but these are new characters. Um, these are new setups, new characters. It's creating new stuff as opposed to possibly being a bit nostalgic in in its initial aims. Yeah, it, it was it was around the time that I very very first started listening to Big Finish, and it was mm. um, there was a, a freebie with Doctor Who magazine, I think, and I listened to that and immediately went, "Oh, this is a bit different. This is yes, there was this a is going somewhere movie. else. Yeah, yeah. the coup cool. that was the one." I think it was a. It was half a disc was unit and half a disc was Benny. I think if I remember yes. correctly. But yes, I've still got it somewhere on a shelf. Um, okay, Connor, do you want to do next question? Um, yes. So, out of out of everything that you've done over the years, be it on on TV or or in print or on audio, and it's another one of those dangerous questions. But um, mm-hmm. do you have a favorite project out of all of those that you've worked on? Oh, there's lots for various different reasons. I mean, obviously, my Torchwood TV was my first TV, um, so that's never not going to be an absolute life highlight. I was so my granddad died between me being commissioned for it and it being made. So you know, I know my granddad knew I'd made it into TV. Um, so many personal things for that, um, and I think I'm very proud of my second Sarah Jane adventure, the Mad Woman in the Attic. Um, I think it's a really good script. Sorry, it's really vain to say it, but I think it is. I think it's a really good script. It explores things. It Clyde was easier to do a story about because Clyde we knew was a, a bit of a tear away. Um, and we knew that if Clyde's dad was coming back, you know, there was... I'm very proud of the script, but there was, Rani was less of that. So it was finding Rani's flaw. It was finding why, what is wrong with Rani that we can use to break her before putting her back together. But also I think that story deals with, there's a lot going on in there and there's a lot of, it's just a really happy ending. There's a lot about finding your own family, which I think I was doing at the time. I think there's a lot of thematic stuff in that. Um, finding your own family, I think is such a big, big thing and I do think that it, that story really explores it um, I was very proud of my first episode of a show called Million Between more because it was the first time I was on a show where I didn't know anybody um, obviously you know Big Finish helped lead to Torture and helped lead to Sarah Jane and all that lot so there was always a continuity of people Million Between was the first time somebody contacted my agent and said we like your or your client's work. We'd like to employ him. And I didn't know anybody on the crew or behind the scenes or anything. So that was fun. That was great. Um, I'm really happy. With my, I did an episode of the Demon Headmaster reboot, which I'm very proud of. Um, that there was a lot of back and forth on that, um, but I'm very proud of that. I think it. I like again. It, I like taking say the character in there of the bully. And exploring why he's a bully and going perhaps if we talk to bullies they might not be bullies rather than if we condemn bullies you know if we instantly decide someone's a bad guy they're going to be a bad guy whereas if we try and engage and and, and help 
people um it's better for everyone um so that was quite a personal thing as well so yeah no a few things but i suppose if i have to choose one it's the mad woman in the attic i just i'm very proud of that it makes me cry when i watch it um which is very sad <laughs> but yeah i know what's coming um so yeah no very proud of that and it brings canine back and about canine oh god yeah i had to bring canine back and also had to write it was such a really tricky one because it had to bring canine back I again talk about a shopping list you got all this stuff so take right all i got was ronnie and i got told at the fairground as a i think i was given the fairground as a possibility they were they were kind of there's this fairground on barry island if you wanted to use a fairground and i was like obviously fairgrounds are amazing um and I knew that Luke could only, Luke, Luke, Tommy could only do one day on location. So Luke couldn't go to the beach. <laughs> Luke couldn't go to the fairground. Luke went to a children's home and sat there chatting to some bloke. Um, and uh, yeah, so that was, there was, and then, yeah, canine. And then you're just like, well, what's Mr. Smith for canines? Ah, it's so confusing. And I think I found a way to do it. And it was, I think it's a really triumphant return for canine. Um yeah, I just think there's a lot going on there. I'm really proud of it. I think it's and it's so beautifully acted and directed. I think um the actress who plays old Arani, that combined with Angelie's performance, combined with um Alice Troughton's direction, there's bits where they're looking at there's a lot of looking in mirrors and they're looking in the mirror in the future, and then she's looking in the mirror in the past, and there's a mirror image of things, and, and there's a lot of other stuff going on in there that I just am uh, really happy with, yeah. And Kanan comes back. And actually, I had that. I was, and I had watched that um, over the last couple of days in the run up to doing this, and it had actually reminded me of how it, it had been a long time since I'd seen any of the Sarah Jane adventures that didn't have David Tennant or Matt Smith, and I've seen those ones a yeah. few times, but um, I don't think I'd seen this one maybe since it went out originally, and I have forgotten just how good it was. Oh, um, I, I, I had completely forgotten, you know, about about it being K9's return um, from the black hole. Um, yeah. But it was lovely as well to see Brian Miller in it with Elizabeth Sladen. That was I, I, I don't think it had ever occurred to me before. But when he showed up, it was just like, you know, of of course, you know, you would get him in at some point. So I, yeah. I really loved that that got to happen. Yeah, no, it's so nice. It's such a, um, and he's so good in it. It's such a, it's such a heartbreaking performance. I think you know, there's a lot of history to that character that we don't know, and. Um, well, I have ideas of dark, you know, sort of a, not a very happy history. Big um, finish. Yeah, big finish. <laughs> 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 Harry. Harry. Is he called Harry? He might be called Harry. He is, he is, he is Harry. It would be a reference to Harry Sullivan, where I'd be like, I wanted someone, you know, of sort of Sarah Jane's age um, and things like that. Uh, yeah, no. Um, also, there's a really, really hot, one of the extras in it is really hot. One of the, one of the homeless people on the train things. <laughs> He's so ridiculously attractive. So that was quite distracting because I was on set that day. So I was very much like, well, lovely. (laughs) Last question we'll throw at you then, promise. Okay. Um, And you've kind of done it a little bit already. You're really good at sort of answering your questions before we ask them. Uh, But uh, tell us a bit about your non-Doctor Who work. Um, So I've done a lot of kids TV, um, which has been great really enjoy it. it's my it's it is the job i love i love doing it writing for kids is so much fun um it's so much imagination it's really hard because it, the 
quite short episodes, Kids TV. So it's like you've know, been 27 minutes and they go, right, but you've got five storylines to cover in the first scene. I was I did a show called Hetty Feather for about four episodes, I think, four years on it. And um, one of my episodes, possibly my last penultimate one, by that point they were living in, there were servants living in a house. And um, I was given the note also in scene one, which is one and a half pages long because it's before the pre-titles. And it establishes, I think, three different storylines and reminds you of a serial thing. I've got, can we remind the audience that the cook's got Alzheimer's? And you're like, actually, it's trying to take out a line and put in a line where the cook was like, oh, no, I forgot the cakes were burning or something like that. You know, it's really hard, is kids' TV, but I love it. It's my dream. Um, and I've got to write so many things that I would never have, that, that one is Victorian orphans, just wouldn't have known anything about. So that's been real, a real joy. Um, I produced a range of audios of Big Finish, um, which has been great because it's got to basically be a bit of a showrunner, which has been lovely. Um, I've written, I've had a short film made that um, did quite well um, and uh, written a lot of short plays and at the moment trying to write a full-length play. Um, so I wrote my first, there's a thing on my wall, I wrote my first short play last uh, 10 years ago, last October, Um uh, my first shot play and it did we, we won awards which was nice and an amazing cast which i'm still friends with um so yeah just doing lots of the stuff and at the moment i'm i've kind of got a couple of weeks off i'm on i'm working on a tv show at the moment a kids tv show which i'm doing two episodes on but we're on a bit of a break at the moment while they finalize some stuff and then hopefully the writers will be called back um to finish it off um, while I'm having a break, I've got an interview at the end of the month uh, for what could be, fingers crossed, a really exciting job for me, which would be really fun, um, totally unrelated um, to anything I've done before. Um, so at the moment, what I'm doing um, this month, I'm just trying to write a full-length play that I'm about halfway through, and I've got a couple of TV um, ideas because I'm not getting any younger. And my agent's like, you need to write a new spec script so we can take out to people. Um, so yeah, just trying to take the opportunity to actually write some of my own stuff, um, which would be nice. Right. So that's absolutely fantastic. Uh, thank you so much for joining us, Joe. It's been fantastic to have you on. Oh, it's been really good fun. Thank you. Be lovely to uh, meet you. Yep. Yeah, and, uh, you'll have to join us again sometime, obviously. Come back. Oh, well. Um, meanwhile though, uh, I will, uh, also say goodbye to Connor. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for coming on, Joe. Thank you. It's lovely to meet you. And we'll be back for more podcasting next week. Goodbye now.